You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 47. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey, everybody. How you doing? We are back with another Q&A episode. Yeah, we have a lot of questions, actually. Yeah, we may, uh, you know, we've we've been podcasting pretty consistently, but we may actually have to increase the ratio of Q&A episodes to other episodes because we're actually getting to a point now where we're winding up with a backlog where like we can't answer all of our Q&A questions on the podcast. So like the older ones get answered, the newer ones have to wait till the next so for you guys who sent in questions and we're not answering it on this show, we will get to you soon, we promise. Yeah, so a little bit of news and stuff. What's been going on? Well, we're, we're recording this episode the day after Election Day. Yeah. So lots of exciting changes going on there. I think we're pretty much at the point of, of we realize how things are going to look for the next two years. So we'll see how all that goes. Yeah, a colleague of mine uh, was talking to me yesterday and she was talking about how important it is to get like the most important thing done in your day. And she was like, I already did it. I went out and I... Over through fascism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was my one thing. That was my one thing. That was today. my one thing for the day. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people went out to vote. We went out to vote together. Yes. And we did what we do every year and went to the wrong place. Every year, our polling place is just ridiculous. It shares a parking lot. There's, there's, there's two schools. There's an elementary school that shares a parking lot with the middle school, which is our actual polling place. And it's way more obvious as a spot. And every, every time, you know, because it's a couple years apart, every time we go to the wrong, the wrong one. Which usually isn't a problem. But this time it was pouring down rain and was miserable walking the parking lot to the wrong school and then walking the parking lot back to the car and then driving around and walking through the parking lot in the rain once again so yeah, icky, yucky, but we got out and voted and I felt super prepared this year. Like I had my whole thing, like I, I printed out a sample ballot and like checked stuff off. So I felt really prepared for like going this year. And I had a sort of a interesting situation where I was at my little booth thingy and I had my little pen and I'm sitting there and I'm checking off my stuff. And next to me is the booth where they're helping some of the disabled people select stuff. And there's this little old lady and she's obviously blind, can't see the ballot. And this woman's reading off the ballot to her. And she's like, so this is the person running for this. And this is the person running for that. And, oh, well, you don't need to worry about that other person. It's just this person. You want to check that off, right? And it didn't ring well with me at first, but then I was like, wait, what? And then I kind of like looked and the guy who was on the other side of that booth, on the other booth, looks over at me looking at the booth and both of us are like, what? 
he finished up before me and he went and grabbed somebody. And needless to say, she got yanked up from uh, (laughs) helping old people. And it was actually pretty cool because they did like replace her and they had two people then helping each person, you know, one person from each main political party and uh, to keep it non-biased. But that was my sort of like wild, like, I wonder, you know, how often stuff like that happens where are people who are disabled or blind or elderly and can't see are taken advantage of like that. Cause the poor little old lady was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll check that one off. And I was just like, no, no, this is not cool. Granny like speak up. So that was my interesting voting experience. So other exciting announcements. Uh, we are actually opening our dating program. Um, we have a dating program as some of you are probably well aware that's for people looking to build non-traditional relationships. So kinky and poly folks or kinky or poly folks. And, you know, when you're single and you're kinky or you're poly, there, there's not a lot of dating help out there that's available to you that is really applicable to you, right? Because there's a lot of differences when you're, you're trying to date and you're, you're kinky or you're poly and you want, you want somebody who's not going to judge you and judge what you're doing and is actually going to be able to help you. So we have a dating coaching program that is for kinky and poly folks that teaches you how to find and attract and successfully date people and be able to get out on dates regularly and get past the first date. And we don't open that very often. I think the last time, I mean, this is the first time we've opened the program up this year. Yeah, it's actually been over a year since we ran the dating program because we've been so focused on the MOR program, which is our Making Open Relationships program. So kind of back by popular demand, really, because (laughs) I've had so many folks that I've talked to who have been like, you know, we know you do the dating program. When are you opening it up back up? And we figured out how to do that. So that way, you know, because we still have the other course going. We made the time. We made the time. We're making it happen. Yeah. And it's going to start December 10th. It's going to be the start date for the course. We're only opening 15 slots and we don't know when we're going to be opening this program again. It's been over a year since we opened it the last time. It's been almost more like a year and a half. Yeah. So if this is something you're interested in, if you want to learn how to get out there and date and get excited about dating again and build confidence and actually be able to like find your kind and and go out on dates without feeling like you've blown it afterwards and actually get out on more than one date, this program is going to be something that you probably want to talk to us about. The next step with that, if that's something you are interested in doing, is to set up a console call with Cassie. The way to do that is you can go to a touchofflavor.com forward slash S and then the number two and then the letter S, uh, which is because the program used to be called Single Dissatisfied. Actually, I think we're keeping that name, aren't yes, we? Because it's are. a pretty badass name. name. Yes. Yeah. So a touchofflavor.com forward slash S2S. We'll also put the link in the show notes and you can set up a free call with Cassie. Actually, it's, it's more than just talking about if they're a good fit for the program though as well. Yeah, really what the call is designed to do is to take a look at what currently is working. Because for most of us, there's something that we're doing right. It's just there's also a lot of things that we're not doing right in our in our dating lives. So we're going to take a look at what is and isn't working and sort of the best path forward for you. And so 
it's it's super helpful to hop on a call because you're able to sort of get a lot of clarity around those things. And that's really the first step in getting successful with your dating is is knowing exactly what you're not doing right and what you are doing right. So I look forward to talking to you guys. It'll be fun. Yeah. So just just like I said, if this is something that you're interested in, I suggest you hop on it. And there's two reasons for that. One, like I said, is we can only take 15 people. And I think we've already had 15 people who have expressed interest in the program before you even announced it, which is why we're, which is told us to put this out. But the other thing is there's, there's actually, Cast only has limited time to conduct these calls. And we, a lot of times fill these up just with the calls for the Mastering Open Relationships program, which we're not stopping. So I expect availability for calls to become somewhat limited somewhat quickly. So that's another kind of limiting factor. And you may have to even check back a couple times to find a time where you can actually get in for the call. So like I said, if that's something that interests you, you can go to atouchoflavor.com forward slash S2S and uh, hop on a call with Cassie. And I'm sure she looks forward to speaking with you. Absolutely. It'll be a blast. All right. So with that, let's hop into our Q&A questions for the day. We've got some some interesting ones today and some longer ones. I want to actually start with uh, one of the calls that came in on our voicemail line. And in case you guys don't know, you can leave us voicemail questions. We love playing them. They're a lot of fun. Yes, we love them and you guys don't do them enough. So <laughs> if uh, you're feeling brave and bold, leave us a voicemail. By the way, we had somebody we're going to text you. Um, we had somebody else in another voicemail that was totally unintelligible. So if you're wondering, hey, where's my voicemail? That's why we're going to reach out to you and try and try and get what your question was. Yeah, we really want to answer your question, but you sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was like... Yeah, so yeah, we'll so. reach out to you. But here's, <laughs> here's, our, here's our first question for this, uh, for this episode. Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, Nathan here from Ohio. I've got two questions. Question one. I recently listened to the episode where you proposed to your fiance. Congratulations. Besides the ceremony, rings, or tattoos, what other ways might you or other polycules tie the knot even more? Put property in your names, legally divorce the spouse to be more equitable between everyone, rename investment and life insurance beneficiaries. These are just guesses. I imagine that your response will be whatever you want it to be. But what do you find is typical? And for my second question, recently my wife and I attended a play party and my wife found somebody that she was interested in. So we go back into a private room and he immediately starts a gentle interview with us. He started off asking us what we felt swinging was for us and what expectations do we have? This has never happened to us before, but I understand this is more typical in BDSM circles. I was wondering if you could either do a show or a weekly segment, maybe with a variety of guests, role-playing conversations where listeners can eavesdrop on what good consent and negotiations sound like, and maybe what bad ones sound like. This is something I'm sure I and many others need to be doing. Thanks again. So I kind of want to start with the second question the first. Second question yeah. first, because it's gonna be a lot faster. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is something that's way more common in the BDSM community or, you know, even people who are from that space, even when they're negotiating sex, um, we're great examples of that. Our sex negotiations sound like many BDSM negotiations. Absolutely. We actually just did a Facebook live. Yeah. Facebook live where we were talking about one of sort of 
our principles for people for negotiating good casual sex is negotiating it similar to how kinksters negotiate a BDSM scene. Yeah. Well, so actually, we'll we'll link to that in the show notes at atouchflavor.com forward slash 047. I actually think that's a great idea as far as having an episode where we do examples of what a good negotiation sounds like, what a bad negotiation sounds like. And I know that we've had a few play partners who we have talked about on the show before who have been looking for an excuse for us to get them on the show. So I think it might be fun to talk to them about maybe some of the scenes that we've done with them and then do the negotiation or flip that around, do the negotiation and then talk about some of the scenes that we've done with them. Sounds like a better idea, but I think that would be a really cool show, actually a fun, a fun show, but we do have some play partners who have been like dying to be on the show, but we don't have a reason for them to be on the show. So, so we've added it to our episode list, our list of ideas for episodes and uh, keep an ear out. You'll probably be hearing that episode before too long. So the first question First off, just so people know, he's referring to, I think, episode 12 is, is the episode where we talk about getting engaged. If anybody wants to go hear that and see stupid, cute pictures in the show notes. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess the first thing, you know, your question is, what can people do and what do we plan to do specifically in order to tie the knot, show commitment, make things more equitable? Now, I think the first thing to point out is something that you said, which I'm not sure there's an answer to this that is typical. Yeah, I don't think there is a, like, this is what most poly folks do. I think that every person that I've talked to who has made, like, a lifelong commitment to their partners, like, especially when it's, like, multiple partners, things like that, it's looked very, very different. So I think we'll just scratch the whole typical thing and we can talk about some ideas of what people can do. Yeah. So first off, as far as the divorcing your partner to make it a more equitable arrangement, I know that's something that that's been discussed quite a bit recently. And I think that comes from a it was an ep article that was done, wasn't it? Like he's divorcing her, like he's divorcing his wife it or his was, girlfriend. Or it was a video. Yeah. A Facebook was, video. Yeah. And we'll link to it if we can find it. I, I can find it. Okay. It's very popular. And it's become like a very popular thing. And maybe that works for them. But I've also talked to lots of poly folks who recognize that that isn't more equitable. Like there's partners who really do need to be on the health insurance because they have cancer or MS or things like that. And divorcing their partner would not really be equitable, would not really be very helpful in their family dynamics. So it really has to be looked at by the people that are in that situation of whether or not this would be something that would be a good decision or if it would just be on the principle of doing it and might actually work against the benefit of the people in the relationship. Yeah, I think this is one of those things, you know, sometimes we have to weigh the idealism versus the practicality, right? Like in an ideal world where the legal realities of marriage were separated from the ceremony of marriage and, you know, people could negotiate these rights and privileges that come with marriage separately. And, um, you know, but from a practical standpoint, the, you know, doing the the divorcing your, your spouse for a group relationship may or may not be the best option for us, especially with Cassie's health issues. 
And the fact that I'm the one who holds the health insurance, not such a great option in our case. Yeah, I would, I would die. I would die, like seriously. Even going outside of myself, you know, when I was talking about MS and things like that, I'm thinking of friends who, who have, you know, things like that. And it would just not be, a, it wouldn't even be a safe situation for them to like get rid of the insurance by, by divorcing, that sort of thing. Yeah. So moving past that, what can you do to show your commitment? So I, I kind of feel like this falls into two categories, right? The first is ceremonial stuff. And, you know, for that case, you can do anything that you could do in a, uh, a, a typical monogamous ceremony, right? Like the ceremony that we're planning looks, I don't want to say traditional, but maybe more more typical than you'd see in, in some other poly things as far as like looking more like a traditional wedding. But I mean, you can do, you know, we know people who do hand fastings. We know people who have done collaring ceremonies if they're in power exchange dynamics. Sand ceremonies or candle ceremonies or hand fasting or really just about anything. Yeah. And we know people who have done things all the way from, you know, getting together with like three or four good friends as witnesses to, you know, having like larger, like inviting out the families and things like that. So there's there's a lot of options that you can do with that. And I don't think that ceremony wise um, that really you're looking at a lot of difference from what you do in a monogamous relationship versus what you'd be doing in a polyamorous relationship, at least as far as your options and how you'd go about it. Yeah, it's really about what the people who are in that relationship want as far as their demonstration of commitment, right? Because some people might want something very small, some people might want something larger, but it's what the people who are making this bond and making this statement of their commitment, how they want to express it is really what it comes down to. Yeah. So the kind of what I view the other part of your question as is what can you do legally to uh, show commitment, I guess, is, is in one way, but in another way to make things equitable, as you said, and to make sure people are protected. And this to me is a far more interesting question, um, not because it's it's any more important, but because here, there is a lot of variation from what you would need to do in a monogamous relationship. And we go into much greater detail on this in episode 26 uh, with Ben Schenker, who's an attorney. It's called The episode's called What Poly Folks Should Know About the Law. But I do want to address it briefly here. And the thing is, when you're monogamous and you get married, there's thousands of rights and benefits and legal things that attach that most of us don't think about when we're monogamous, right? Which in some ways is a detriment because we're kind of getting ourselves into legal agreements that we aren't really fully considering sometimes. But, you know, they're also, it's very hard to duplicate a lot of those protections in a non-traditional relationship. Some of these things are things like pertaining to things like finances. You know, if your partner passes away, like where does the money go or the home or the property Children, if you guys were, if someone was to die or break up, where does the children go and how do people, you know, have rights to the children? And marriage covers a lot of that stuff. Whereas when you're not married, because technically that is really the only thing that you can't have as far as your ceremony is a legal document stating that you are legally married to this person. So therefore you don't have these things that are covered and you have to kind of look at some of those areas that are important for everybody to be protected. So if you are having a life 
long commitment to someone and they're living in a home and say 20 years from now, uh, you guys break up. How is that being handled? Does this person suddenly not have a home? Uh, Do they get some kind of equity stake in the house like they would in a monogamous relationship, right? If you guys were married. So these these are a lot of the things that you you really have to pay attention to when you're talking about polyamorous relationships that you don't have to pay attention to so much when you talk about monogamous relationships, right? How are things being handled when somebody dies? Who has medical visitation rights and rights to make medical decisions? If people break up, you know, what happens with the kids? Who has visitation? Who has uh, support isn't so much something you can negotiate, but, you know, these are things you can discuss and at least take some steps on. If you break up and you've been together a long time, how are assets divided? These are all things that who gets the fucking cat? Who gets the fucking cat, right? So these are all things that become a lot more complicated. And you can duplicate a lot of these protections, not all, but a lot, with different legal steps. And you're talking, like, if you're trying to duplicate a good chunk of these protections, you're talking about probably a combination of things like estate and wills, cohabitation agreements. If you're talking about kids, like, are you trying to get all three people on the birth certificate? So these are a whole series of steps and they're, you know, they're not cheap either. No. And you're also looking at things like powers of attorney, things like that. So there's a lot there. You asked us what we're doing personally and a lot is the answer, (laughs) A, a lot of it. But we've also been kind of gently, gradually doing some of those things along the way. Like Amanda has a power of attorney now for our child. Yeah. So that way, you know, she can handle stuff at school and not have to get a hold of one of us so he can have a Tylenol when he has a headache. Something that happened before that was on file at the school. Uh, the answer is, so I mean, we're, we're, we're actually doing, we're actually working on kind of a whole combination of a lot of these legal things before we get tie the knot, so to speak, I guess is the... <laughs> Is a thing for anybody else who's interested in doing this. I, I recommend that you you listen to episode twenty six, and you really need to consult an attorney because a lot of this stuff varies dramatically by location, and it is stuff that's going to have to be put together for you by an attorney. And it unfortunately, you know, trying to duplicate these protections is not going to be a cheap endeavor. Yeah, and when you're doing it, consult with an attorney with the group of you, and then when you're actually filing the paperwork, doing the paperwork, things like that. All have your own attorney to look over and make sure that what's being covered for you is actually protecting you and is in your best interest. So our next question is from Anon, and it is, we have a play relationship with another kinky couple with whom I have tied the mail many times. We all get along very well and have hung out several times with others. We started hanging out just the four of us doing dinner at her house, which helped us bridge the kinky vanilla friends gap. However, now whenever we hang out, play is always pushed to the very end of the night. I can't even say that it's play. It's one tie and then it's so late that it's time to go home. We really enjoy their company and don't mind just hanging out vanilla, but I feel like we've gotten away from the kinky fun And it's kind of a bummer. How do I ask to have more play when we're together? I'm worried if I don't articulate it correctly, I'll seem pushy and narrow-minded. 
The first thing I want to say is, is that if this is somebody that you're regularly hanging out with and it's something that you're doing pretty regularly, there's probably going to be less play. Like that's just when we have play partners and it's somebody that we see every once in a blue moon and it's like once or twice a month and we go over to their house, of course, we're going to have banging, awesome, long-term play. When we see someone regularly every day or several times a week, that sort of thing, there's going to be days that there's less play or not as much play or maybe no play if you're hanging out. So I just want to put that realism out there for you. Like when we have someone that we're playing with, typically speaking, it does not always stay, especially if we're seeing them regularly every day or several times a week at that like super high play level. Just doesn't happen. It's reality. That being said, it's perfectly reasonable for you to ask for more play or for you to say, you know, when we're hanging out, this is more what I'm looking for. And especially to ask not for play to be pushed to the end of the night. Because that's a different, those, those all are different various things, right? There's a difference between seeing someone very often and play not necessarily always happening and the opportunity for play being taken off the table because it's put off until the end of the night, the last minute when everyone's exhausted. Yeah. So, you know, and this kind of gets to making sex, making play a priority, right? Like what you make the priority for is what gets done. So if you have the conversation with this person, like, look, I really miss when we used to play. Is that something that, you know, I'd like to try and play more regularly? I don't know if you want to set a specific, you know, uh, every so often you're over there or something along those lines, get more your input on that. But, you know, once, once you've gotten that that agreement that they are looking for more play than than they're getting it's really easy to say well you know i don't think that we should push play off to the end of the night then i'd like to make play a priority absolutely and you can just take it from the the perspective of like i feel like when we put this off it doesn't happen or i feel like you know, we don't really get to have the awesome, amazing scenes that we used to because we're both tired out or we're running out of time, that sort of thing. So when you're talking about it, the right way to articulate it and, and to say it to your partner is come from a place of what we did was really awesome, right? Not right now sucks, but what we did was really awesome and I'd like to get back to that versus right now I feel like this sucks and I don't want it to suck anymore, right? There, there's, a different, there's a different mindset about how you're asking. So talking about, you know, I really, really enjoyed that scene where we really connected and it was awesome. And I don't feel like we've had the opportunity to do that because of us waiting until the end of the night. All right. Our next question is from Michael and he says, I need help with dating. A few months ago, there were dozens of popular writings on FetLife and Facebook, uh, and he actually specified in Kinky and Popular on FetLife, about how cis men, particularly dominant cis men, are all abusers, and how they either shouldn't be allowed to run social events at the least, or should be completely run out of the community altogether. It also happened in groups I was a part of, and my friends agreed with these posts in various ways, either by liking them or loving them or commenting in agreement. If I were to try and defend myself or my sex 
I would be told by many people how I'm just covering up what's going on at the worst, or I'm just feeding the men that do these things and giving them more power. If I would point out how women also abuse men, commit sexual assault, or aren't perfect, I would be called a liar even if I would produce evidence. I recognize that most of these people who posted these things were responding to the fact that either they were hurt or someone they knew were hurt by cis men. However, it affected me quite deeply and has made it so I now feel I can't participate online or date online anymore. And I've been dating from 16 until now, and I'm 29. This has also made how I feel about interacting with people in person as well. I feel like there are people who would hate me just for being a cis male dom. It's enough to make me not want to go out, even if the worst thing that would happen is other people would be uncomfortable uh, because I'm around and I know that it's my fault. I still have a dream of one day having someone to lay with at night to know they will be there even when I need them and to be able to do the same. I want to have a family. I want to have even one partner who I can call mine in some way. I want to have a thriving poly relationship, but I can't even get to a relationship with someone in the first place and I'm not sure what to do. Okay. So... This is, you know, a hot topic, obviously, right? This is this is one of those, like, do I even want to touch this with a 10-foot pole? And the reason that is, and and is because the issue is, is that there is a lot of truth to a lot of the things that we're seeing. It is fantastic that women are coming forward and that people are finding that space. But Whenever we have a great positive movement, we have the extremists that just ruin everything for everybody. You have the people who want to burn down the castle and the people who want to flood it. And it, it's, it's one of those situations. So th- this is a topic that is, that is difficult to talk about. And I want to give some validation in the f- feeling that you're not sure how you fit in with the current culture. That being said, I think there's a lot that you can do and a lot that can be done to make that situation not impact your dating life as much as it is. First off, when you're seeing this influx of of posts and things like that, you said you recognized that a lot of people were responding from a place of they had been abused or a friend of theirs had been abused etc cetera, etc cetera. and understanding that these people are angry they're hurt they're mad this probably isn't the place or time to have that well men are abused to conversation that's that's probably one of the times not to do it when you see a, a situation where something is blowing up or someone's posting a post where they're saying this is what happened to me I'm angry and are they right by saying that all men are evil, horrible people? No, they're not. That's 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 wrong. That being said, they're angry and hurt, and that's their place to vent that. And so part of this is taking on the information that's important and helpful and going, okay, some of this is anger and some of this is frustration, and this probably isn't the place for me to try to prove a point like that might be a different conversation or a different space yeah so then i i i you know am kind of sensitive to where you're coming from on this because i fall into your your category of cis white male myself 
I'll just say a couple things about this. There's always a bit of a difference in how generalizations play out and how uh, stuff plays out when people have to interact with you as a person, right? And the, one of the easy examples that I use for this is Polly, um, because this is a situation that you run into all the time where people will say, you know, they'll hear about Polly and if they haven't been exposed to it before, they'll be like, oh, you know, this is a horrible thing. These are horrible people who do this, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of times those same people, if they're exposed to actual people in a poly relationship and those people are personalized, they'll change their views on it, right? So I think there's there's kind of, there's a couple things to this. And I'm, I'm kind of struggling with the order to put these out in. So you'll just have to bear with me for a second. The first one is that I think that some of the animosity that you're picking up on has to do with the stance that you're taking as far as, as you said, well, pointing out that men are abused and things like that. I'm not saying that you're wrong to have those conversations. I think that's kind of another topic. But I do think that you need to realize that having those conversations is influencing the reactions that you're getting, right? So the reactions that you would or kind of the views that people, I think you'd find that people would attribute to you on this would be different. Say you went out to a munch, just for example, and you didn't have these conversations, the reaction that you get would be very different than if you went out to a munch and did have these conversations. Again, I'm not saying you're right or wrong to have them. I'm just pointing that out in maybe the strength of the reactions that you're seeing from people on these topics, right? The second thing is, is that it's a lot easier for people... People tend to be a lot more unreasonable online than in person. Yeah, I was going to say attacking or unreasonable or generalizing online than they are in real life and dealing with a group than they are in dealing with one person, right? So a lot of these same people who you see kind of making some of these statements and venting in anger, even if you were to approach them online individually, say on a dating site, you're likely to get a much different reaction from them one-on-one as a person than you are uh seeing them address kind of your group and the second thing is you know to take that one step further um definitely the reaction that you get going out and actually meeting and interacting with somebody at a mantra party on a in-person basis is going to be way way different than the reaction that you get online and in a group situation. So, you know, I can tell you that, you know, I see a lot of the same stuff that you do online, but at the same time, I don't feel like that has affected any of my relationships or interactions with people in person. Like when I go out to a munch, or I go out to a party or those kinds of things. Yeah. So part of this is recognizing where there is people trying to vent or make social change or get attention, you know, the the attention of others to make those kind of changes versus saying you, one cisgender man that I'm staring at and pointing at right now is a bad person, right? It's it's taking those generalizations and not not saying, well, this is me, this is who I am. And again, I, I will say there's there's definitely people who are on the extreme on either side. And those are the people you don't go on dates with. Those are the people you don't have the, the 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 deep conversations with. But your friends who may have liked a post or added some commentary, that's a different situation. Right. So, you know, I, I think to some extent this is a mindset issue. And I don't mean it's a mindset issue in the fact of you don't see this happening because you 
do probably see a lot of this happening. But in the factor of, I don't think that this is having the effect on your dating life that you think it is, or at least not any more than you're letting it, right? So if you're not finding partners, you're not successfully dating, well, I mean, A, if because of these things, you're not out looking, that's certainly going to affect your dating life, right? But short of that, it's probably a factor of surrounding dating skills, right? Dating is a learned skill. And I'm going to be frank because I'm I'm always frank. And, you know, you said that you've been online dating from 16 to 29. I don't see in there a, a, a statement of I've had a partner in there, right? So if you've been dating from the age of 16 to 29 and you really haven't had partners, the Me Too movement and all this stuff is very, very recent. There might be some other things going on that you need help with as far as your dating. Right. So uh, what I'd say to you is, um, you know, give give some give some thought to this. Give some thought to, as I said, the people uh, like myself who are cis white males in this current environment. And, you know, it who, as I said, when you go out really in person, I don't notice this having effect on my interactions with people or my dating in person. So give some thought to that and ask yourself, you know, A, is this really a reason that I shouldn't be going out? Because that's certainly going to affect your dating life if you're scared to contact anybody. Right. And B, is is this really the problem or do I have some other things in my dating life and my dating skill set that I need to work on? Our next question is from Kurt. I don't know if you've covered this in your podcast, but I wonder if we put too much emphasis on Polly and not enough on Amory. The point is having committed relationships no matter what the number is. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't necessarily agree. You know, I think that uh, this is just my personal opinion on this, but, um, you know, I think if you just want the poly and you just want people to you just want friends with benefits and you just want play partners, I don't I don't have a problem with that. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. I would I would say that I'm not sure that there has been enough emphasis on for the people who are looking to build relationships on making those relationships happy and healthy and really developing the skills to make those relationships what they could be. But if that's not what you're looking for and you're just looking for the play end of things and and having a lot of partners for various fun things, I don't I don't see any issues with that from my side. And I'm going to take a different approach to this. And my, my, my thought is Amory does not mean committed, right? So, and what does committed mean? We're, we, we all exchange these terms and, and typically when we look at committed, we're looking at things like sort of the relationship escalator type relationships that we see in monogamy. So when I say I'm polyamorous, my perspective on that is that I have many loves, which doesn't mean that I am polysexuist, which means I just have lots of people I have sex with. But it also doesn't mean that these are people that I have huge, giant entanglements with. These are people that I love and I care about. And I think that there should be an emphasis on the treating people with love and care and tenderness. And I think sometimes, a lot of times when people are talking about poly, we skip over that. We talk about what we want in our pants versus how we should and should not be treating people in our relationships. Even if those relationships are more casual, there has to be that respect and love and care for the people that we bring into our lives. So I will agree on that aspect, but I don't think it has to be committed in the, in the sense of what 
traditionally people would say is committed. I think it's that care and taking care of and Amory, that that love for the people that we have in our lives. I feel like your answer is way way better than mine yes yes i do too i feel like you're sucked (laughs) oh well that happened that's why there's two of us on here we can't can't all answer every question fantastically um and i i don't think you know i I don't think going along with what cassie said i think part of this is the is the way in which we use polyamory right like everybody defines polyamory a little differently but the other thing that i want to say and i'll kind of follow this on the heels of cassie's fantastic answer to this question is those relationships that aren't as committed, that aren't as entwined, doesn't mean that they're less valuable, right? I mean, I we have we have friends, friends who we sleep with, who we've had as good friends for years and years and years. And I don't view those relationships as less valuable than my romantic partners. And in fact, I'll play devil's advocate on it and say some of our like friends with benefits, and I'm using air quotes, like people who are friends that we've had play relationships with, in some ways have had more valuable equity-invested relationships, what equity-invested relationships, than say a new romantic committed relationship of, of a week or a month, right? Yeah. These are, these are people that have been a part of our lives for over a decade. I was just thinking about one of our friends who's actually planning on being, talking about our whole marriage ceremony and everything, one of our good friends who we play with who's going to be in our wedding, we were just having the conversation that it has been 10 o- years, over 10 years that we have been friends. And during those 10 years, most of them we've been playing off and on with that person. And it is a loving, caring, nurturing relationship. And I think that that's where the focus really needs to be is in making sure that you're giving that care to people, whether it no matter what kind of relationship it is. I can't top that answer. Let's just move on. So (laughs) our next question is from somebody who's anonymous. It says, I have a few questions about finding a poly girlfriend together. And these are set up as a few questions. So we're just going to kind of touch on each one here. Where do we look? Craigslist is shady and most dating sites are super vanilla. This is really more your area of expertise than mine. Okay. So Craigslist is shady. Stay the hell off of there. Yeah. By the way, speaking from experience, Craigslist is shady. shady. Yeah. It's, it's super shady. Just no. With a lot of experience with dating people off of Craigslist years ago, I, I tried the Craigslist thing. It was horrifying. Just not very good quality partners. And and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for partners who you can date and enjoy their company and not go home going, what the fuck did I sign myself up for? And Craigslist just has a magical way of connecting people who are the not compatible, not good, scary type of people that you really do not want to connect with. So as far as Craigslist, just take that off your list. Just scratch it. Just check that off. And yeah, a a lot of dating sites are very vanilla. That being said, there is a lot of sites that are starting to open up to having the ability to select things like polyamory. OkCupid is one. Now, that being said, OkCupid over the last year, I don't know what's been up with them. They've gotten kooky as far as uh, 
how their memberships work and stuff like that. It's been it's been a, very difficult for a lot of people, and I know a lot of people who had a lot of success on OkCupid are now coming off of OkCupid. But there is there there is sites out there that are vanilla sites that have those things. Yeah. Now, typically, you know, one place you're going to want to look, and I'm going to say even more strongly for you guys, is your local polyamory community. It's easier if you find people who are already poly, right? And already know what they want. And I say particularly for you guys, because one thing that I would not recommend, especially with you guys being brand new to this, is you guys, it's not a particularly fantastic idea for you guys to be dating somebody who's never done this before and doesn't have any experience. You know, you really want somebody who has some experience, who has a good idea of what they want already, who knows how to stand up for themselves and their relationships, um, rather than everybody being new to the situation at the same time. And especially with you guys being a new couple, it's important for that incoming partner to not be new. You want someone who really understands what it's like to date a couple and knows how to take up for themselves and knows how to be an advocate for their their self in this kind of relationship. You want to date someone who has had a little bit of experience with at least polyamory, if not dating couples. Uh, next question. Do I meet her? Then he meets her and we take turns. Do we find childcare to all go out together? Okay, so I'm going to take this question at face value, but first I'm going to take it as what I'm reading it as, okay? So when I hear, do I meet her, then he meets her, a lot of times what that is is the old bait and switch, right? I'm a bisexual girl looking for another girl. Let's go on a date. And then later on it's like, oh, by the way, I'm married and my boyfriend or my husband wants to come meet you. That's not cool, folks. Uh, you should be very upfront with the fact that you are in a relationship and you're looking to date as a couple. So I said, I'm going to take it as face value. And so with that in mind, I'm taking your, your, your question at face value and you're saying, do I meet her? Then he meets her. Do we take turns? Honestly, that really doesn't matter. It's good for all of you to spend a little time separately. I'd say if it's the first time that you're meeting, if you're looking to date as a couple, it might be a cool thing for all of you to go out maybe on a date or not necessarily a date, but out to coffee and meet and see if there's even any like attraction or, or jiving period, right? But it's good for everybody to have some, some interactions independently to see if each individual dyad kicks it off. And if the group, so the idea is various things would be good. But I would say for your first interaction, it might be a good idea for all of you to maybe get a quick cup of coffee or something like that. And it'd be sort of a low key thing. So that way, especially if you and your partner are really stuck on this idea of dating together, well, both of you should have the opportunity to see if you like this person before the other is, is getting super involved. Or that other person, if they really connect with both of you, because if you guys are only looking to date as a couple, that's going to be a waste of time for that person if they find out that the other person is not somebody that they really want to be around. Next question. How do we begin dating and then move to having a living girlfriend? Very slowly. That question's actually a bit of a red flag, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. So here's the thing. 
The answer to this question is how do we begin dating? You start dating and you start finding people and you start hanging out with people and you grow those connections and you see if people connect and how things go. And naturally, after a long time of really getting to know everybody and seeing how people connect, you start spending more time with that person. And eventually, at some point way down the line, maybe, maybe, possibly, you might have a live-in girlfriend. The fact that you're asking this question and you haven't found any dates yet is a huge red flag. This means what you're looking for is somebody to move in real quick, be stuck in a box, not really make those natural connections, and that is a bad idea. And it, if if that is not what you're looking for, it at least that question at least really makes it appear that way. So you really want to give some consideration to not using that language. Yeah, I mean, when people ask questions like this, I try to relate it back to monogamy, right? If uh, I was going out and dating, and I said, you know, how do I start dating so that way, original, you know, moving forward, I have a move-in boyfriend. Most people would be like, what? Like, you know, you're going from saying, how do I move from just dating this person to moving someone into my house, right? And and that's not the flow. The flow is you date, you get to know somebody. And then at the point where it's been a while and you know that everybody connects and things are jiving, then you start talking about things like moving in. But there's a whole bunch of steps in between dating and someone moving in with you. And those steps look like somebody staying at your house more often than not going home. I'm talking about our experience with Amanda, um, you know, our experience with everybody. <laughs> yeah, every, who's ever every, lived with yeah, us? every partner. You know, like you, you go from like seeing someone here and there to them staying at your house or you staying at their house, and then eventually you're sitting there going, "Why do we have two different living arrangements when I'm spending most of the time with you?" Things like that. Um, but there's a lot of points between dating and living with someone, and this is one of the things that a lot of couples turn incoming partners, people who would be willing to date couples away. It's it's a scary idea of someone talking about moving someone in when you're just talking about dating. And the last question is, we just don't know where to start. And I honestly, I think that is the most on point question that you have in here because you don't know where to start because the question, the questions that you're asking show that you really don't know where to start. So I'm, I'm glad that you're asking, you know, something that you need to understand is that first off, the place to start is nowhere that you're looking, okay? You know, talking about where do we find people? How do we get people to move in? Who meets who first? That isn't where you guys need to start. Something that you guys need to understand is that couples looking to date women have a really, really bad reputation in the polyamory community. And that is, first off, something you should know because it's something you're going to run into. Um, And it sucks for a lot of us who who do tend to date as couples. But there is unfortunately a good reason for that. And the reason is that, you know, a lot of times when you have a couple and they're first interested in opening their relationship, this is the kind of situation they look for, something where they can both go date somebody else together. And, you know, usually there's a lot of unrealistic expectations as far as what that's going to look like and what they're expecting from this person. And that's because it's, comfortable for that couple, right? Like this is a comfortable place to start. You're dating together. You have all these restrictions, all these things. The problem is that two things. A, those tend to be really unhealthy relationships just by the way they're designed and the expectations 
that the couple's putting on this relationship. And B is because those do tend to be people's first foray into polyamory. Those tend to be where people make a lot of mistakes. So the first thing that you need to do isn't go out and start looking for people. The first thing that you guys need to do is really sit down. You need to really discuss what you're looking for and you need to really evaluate what it is that you're looking for for somebody, what you're expecting versus what it is that you're offering them. That that really is where you absolutely need to start with this. And you need to make sure that there isn't a huge imbalance between those two things. There isn't a uh, unreasonable dichotomy, for lack of a better word, between what you're expecting from this person and what you're actually offering to them. Just as a simple example of this, you know, if uh, you're only going to see this person once a week, but you're expecting them to not date anybody but you guys, that's probably not a reasonable expectation, right? So these are these are the things that you need to consider. The thing is, is that, well, and I'll throw in here too, the other problem tends to be that if you do find somebody, if you're asking for very unfair arrangements, for lack of a better word, and you find somebody who's willing to do that, that means that they're probably inexperienced and that they're probably not so great at taking care of themselves or some combination of those two factors. And it's probably not going to be a good relationship, right? So the thing is, is that once you figure that out, when you're making dating you an attractive prospect, it's actually not that hard to find partners as a couple. And this is a place that we get into with people a lot of times where they're like, oh, it's impossible to find women who are looking to date or sleep with couples. And it's like, I don't know what world you're living in. It's not hard at all. But it's not hard when you have realistic expectations and you treat people like people and you look out for their interests, right? It's not hard at all. Yeah, we've we've dated as a couple for years and not had any issues. And one of the other things that I want to touch on that was, you know, because what Rigel offered was a lot of really good information, the stuff I would say start with. And the last thing I would start with is get out of the mindset that someone dating you is a prize. Like you guys being a couple is not somehow some magical, amazing thing. Because a lot of times when I talk to couples who, when I say, well, what are you offering? They're like, well, we're offering someone into our relationship. And who fucking cares? Who cares? That that's not that's not a gift. That is that's actually in a lot of ways more of a curse, being the idea of being added into someone's relationship. So get that out of your head and recognize that if you are dating someone, that is a whole new relationship and needs to be treated accordingly. So where do you start? I'm so giving you some kind of advice, but I want to actually give you some steps to take if you guys are really serious about doing this and doing it in a healthy way. The first step is I want you to, we have a blog post called uh, When Fairness Matters and When It Doesn't. And actually it's talking about dating and, and a lot of it specifically addresses couples looking to date. So that's in our blog. It's called When Fairness Matters and When It Doesn't. And we'll link to that in the show notes at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 047. And you should read that. The second thing that you should do is we have a Facebook Live that Cassie and Amanda did. It is in our Facebook group, which actually the second thing should be you should join our Facebook group and see examples of healthy people doing polyamory. Um, We have a Facebook group for non-monogamous folks who are looking to build amazing relationships. Join that Facebook group. That's actually the second thing. The third thing, because the second thing leads into the third, we have a Facebook Live video in our Facebook group that's called Can't Find a Unicorn, You're Doing It Wrong. 
that addresses how to healthily date uh, another partner as a couple. And that video is actually only available right now to members of our Facebook group. Um, and you'll find it under the videos section of the Facebook group there. So those are the first three steps. If you actually want to know where to start, the first three steps are read the fairness post, join our Facebook group, watch the video on unicorns. After that, if you have uh, more specific questions. And by the way, this is something that we touch on in our podcast episodes a lot. I'm not going to sit here and list every episode, but uh, we do have one on how to add a third or fourth to your relationship. So go back and listen to our other, look for other, uh, through other podcast episodes for episodes on this topic. We have one on Ask a Unicorn where Amanda has her own episode. Uh, we have all kinds of episodes along these lines. So do those things. And if you have more specific questions after that that we haven't answered, reach back out. And the other thing that I will say as the very last step is if you go through all of these things and you're evaluating what you're offering, things like that, and you're thinking about your relationship, if your guys' relationship is not in order, if it is not intact, if it is, if there is problems that you guys have going on, address those things first. All right. Our last question of the day is from Sean. I have a girlfriend of two years. She is beautiful, sweet, and caring. She is without a doubt wife material. But I'm not attracted to her in that way anymore. My friends say I'm nuts for thinking about breaking up. What do I do? If it's breaking up, how do I do that and not break her heart? Okay. So the thing is, is that regardless of how amazing or beautiful or sweet or caring someone is, if you're not romantically attracted to them, the best thing to do is be honest, right? We see a lot of people who end up in relationships because, well, my my wife was really nice or kind, or my husband was really a source of stability and a good guy. And years down the line, people are unhappy and unsatisfied in that relationship. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I will, I will actually throw two cents in here, mainly to give you more to think about in this answer. People do change over time. This is one thing that we talk about a lot with our poly clients, right? Where, you know, you've been married for seven or eight years and it's like, well, my partner's a different person. It's like, well, of course they're a different person. You're a different person, right? None of us recognize ourselves from five years ago. People do change over time. So that, that's kind of a natural course of things. I think that one of the first questions that you should ask yourself here, when I, when I first read this question, I read it as, I'm not attracted to her in any way anymore. But that's not what it says. It says, I'm not attracted to her in that way. So I think the first question would be, what is it that's changed about how you feel about her? Like, is there something specific that you're not getting better fulfilled? Is there something specific that she's doing that you don't find attractive? Like, what is that thing that has changed? Or is there something that you're needing or wanting that she can't provide? That's a different question to ask because this may be a situation where she's wonderful, she's sweet, she's awesome, she's beautiful, but you're looking for some kind of kink or some kind of relationship that she doesn't have to offer. So I wish that you had been a little bit more detailed on the why you're not attracted anymore. Because quite frankly, that would really affect our answer to you, right? Like, depending on what the answer to that question is, there may actually be a lot you can do. Yeah. So 
I'm just going to hit on a few small things that, you know, you might want to consider before just throwing in the towel with the idea that if you're not attracted to somebody and you don't want to have a relationship with them, you don't owe anybody a relationship. You don't have to stay with anybody. And that doesn't make you a mean person to say, I'm not getting my needs, my desires, or wants met in this relationship. You're an awesome partner, but this isn't going to work. That is fair for all of us to do. But just to kind of give out some ideas, you know, if this is a physical attraction, that is a, it's a, it's, I'm not going to lie and say that it's an easy thing to say to your partner, hey, I found this more attractive before. And now that there's this, this, I find this less attractive. But if you have someone who's amazing and awesome and, 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 and wonderful, but there's something that they're doing or something they're wearing or something that's an easy change, but is an uncomfortable conversation, it may be worth having that uncomfortable conversation versus losing an awesome partner because you didn't want to have it. The other thing is, is, is this something that could be offset by you getting some needs or desires met somewhere else. Like if you guys are poly, I don't know if you're poly or if you're not, but if it's something like you're not getting your sexual needs met or your kinks needs met, is there a way for you guys to have you get those met somewhere else? So those are a couple of things to keep in mind and, and to really, you know, give some thought to. Your friends say that you're, you're nuts. Well, it doesn't really matter what your friends think. Uh, if you're not happy in this relationship, you want to give thought to why that is, why you're not attracted, why you don't want to be there. And if you feel that there's nothing that adds up to fixing that, the best way you can do that without breaking your partner's heart is this. Don't wait. Don't wait a year, two years, three years, 10 years down the line to do this. You guys have been together for two years um, that's, that's definitely got some history and time, but it's a lot better to find out two years in that this isn't going to work than your girlfriend finding out 10 years from now that it's not going to work after there's kids and other things that happen. So be honest, say exactly what you told us, which is, you know, she is beautiful. She is sweet. She's caring and she would make great wife material, just not for you. All right, guys. So I think that's it for our Q&A for the day. Uh, you got your questions, send them in. We love them. And uh, as I said, we're probably going to up the ratio of Q&A episodes if we keep getting questions into the same rate that we have been. So uh, we look forward to more of your questions. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.